0: What's up, guys? In case you haven't heard, Blue Wire Studios just dropped their first original podcast, Golden Goal. The show gives you 10-minute episodes all about those soccer legends and the moments that made them. Whether you're just learning about soccer for the first time or you're a diehard fan like me, this podcast is a great listen for everyone. The final two episodes are live right now, or you can binge the entire season to learn about your favorite soccer stars. Check out Blue Wire's Golden Goal, available anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Welcome into the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a RotoViz podcast. This is the July 24th episode, and we, as always, are dedicated to answering all of those fantasy football questions. I'm your host, Mike Randall. Please follow me on Twitter at RandallRant. Folks, today we're talking to the great Ben Gretsch, one of the best fantasy football minds in the industry, fantastic analytics, but the ability to present the information in a way that every level of the fantasy drafters can comprehend. He's one of the best teachers on how to make the best yearly and weekly decisions in the industry. He's doing amazing work at CBS Sports and his stealing signs weekly article, a must read before you set your lineups. One of the old school OGs here at Rotoviz. follow him on Twitter at yardspergretsch. Ben, super excited to have you on with us this week on the mailbag.
1: Thanks, man. Yeah, it's always a always a great time to be back on the Rotoviz airwaves. You know, this like it's it feels right. It feels right.
0: Your projections, Ben, are always spot on year after year. And and I wanted to start here with the Patriots. Early offseason comments were comparing this offense to like a dumpster fire. But now they get Cam Newton. He's obviously the starter assuming health. It's Belichick, superior defense. No matter how bad the offense is, I think there's always value. DJ Chark last year, Terry McLaurin in Washington. So where are you at on this offense? Sony Michelle, Damian Harris, Nikhil Harry. Is he going to the next level? We had Sean Siegel on. He still likes Marquise Lee as a late sleeper. My last pick in <laughs> Scott Fishbowl as well. How do you project the Patriots offense here now that Cam Newton is aboard?
1: Of course he still likes Marquise Lee. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> um, all of Newton's offenses have not been necessarily <laughs> – uh, heavy pass volume. There has been some ability for some young receivers to be productive. Obviously we saw that with Calvin Benjamin early in his career. We saw it with uh, Devin Funches for a year. And, and I think Nikhil Harry has the potential to, to play that type of a role in this offense. And I'm still kind of buying into that, but overall, you know, I, I would expect if Newton is, is quarterbacking and I'm projecting him too, that he's going to run a decent amount and he's going to probably use his physicality near the, the goal line and steal a few touchdowns. I'm not really that excited about Sony Michelle. Uh, doesn't catch enough passes, and I'm I worried about the touchdowns. I could see a case for James White, but I'm not really thrilled about that. You know, Julian Edelman is 33 now. He, he has had a hard time playing 16 games. There's some potential, I guess, that he could have a role kind of similar to what Greg Olson used to have in, in Cam Newton's old offenses where he's just seeing a lot of those shorter and intermediate targets and, and racks up a lot of targets. But I, I just think he's going to have a pretty steep drop-off losing Brady. So it's a tough one for me. I, I like Harry. I can see the case for Marquise Lee, certainly. I mean, I I think someone else in this offense will probably have some value. But there's a lot of names. You know, it could be Mohamed Sanu. They they traded a second-round pick for. There's just a lot of ways it could play out, I think.
0: You know, you said you don't really like Sony Michelle. neither do I. Something, Ben, I also don't like is my Scott Fishbowl team. Uh, Very frustrated with the way it worked out. It's one of those things where you read the draft room. Sometimes you read it right, sometimes you read it wrong. But according to the reports here, you had a pretty strong draft. Your team looks really good. Tell us about your strategy there in Scott Fishbowl.
1: I actually didn't have that much of a strategy. It's funny. I've done pretty well in Scott Fishbowl historically. I think I've played in four or five of them now. But last year, my team was pretty poor and I chased a few players with the the video game scoring last year. It was, you know, bonus points for big plays and things. And the, I believe I took Odo Beckham and OJ Howard, who I, you know, was, if they hit, they're going to be a lot of long touchdowns. And yep. it did not work out. And this year, I we were just pretty busy uh, leading up to it. So I didn't spend a lot of time on it and kind of just took what fell to me and things kind of fell into place. So that was pretty nice.
0: Yeah, team looks really solid there, and you you pick from the first spot. I pick from the second spot. So I'm I'm going to hope for Matt Ryan and hope that some of my late round picks work out. My love for Ronald Jones is well documented. So hopefully, Ben, I I don't go down in flames there. Next question, we're going to head to San Francisco. This is going to be our FFPC stat attack of the show. Raheem Mostert asked for a trade, but the question is, do we really care as as fantasy drafters in the most important five weeks of last season, weeks twelve to sixteen? He was averaging 73 rushing yards, 1.2 total touchdowns per game, and 17.3 PPR fantasy points, good enough for the overall RB10 from Week 12 to Week 16. Now, Mostert is plummeting in FFPC ADP. He's down almost nine spots in the last month to 57.2 overall. Teammate Tevin Coleman, that's who he wants to get paid as. And honestly, he probably should be, right? Coleman is now rising. He's up 8.4 spots during that same time frame, but still a huge difference with him at 104.2 in his draft position. So what's your flavor Ben, in San Francisco for the backfield?
1: Mostert's a guy that's a complete stay away from me. He's just off my board. Just didn't catch enough passes, not enough production before last year. I know he's explosive, but you know, the 49ers have been willing to rotate backs. They even after his massive NFC championship, they started Tevin Coleman in the Super Bowl. You know, I mean, I don't think Mostert's going to be a guy that you can rely on week in and week out under any circumstances. And then Coleman's a guy that I'm interested in. I've always really liked him as a player, but you know, we, we're we're having to consider alternate things this year. There's a lot of things to figure out. And, and he does have sickle cell trait. And and I'm kind of concerned or worried, I guess, about, you know, what that might mean with the, with the pandemic going on. So for me right now, I'm actually kind of avoiding this backfield, which is not, doesn't make a lot of sense because there's going to be a lot of points in it. If I was going to take one of them, it would be Coleman take a few shots on him.
0: Yep, and Raheem Mostert was our FFPC stat attack of the show. FFPC is still home to the best fantasy football leagues and contests in the industry, including Dynasty Best Ball. They're still going on, and I'm still doing them. And, of course, the world-famous FFPC main event. If you want to learn more or to join a league, head to myffpc.com. That's myffpc.com. And, of course, we have these great tools here at RotoViz designed specifically for that FFPC domination. I put a tweet out this week about the R-squared value for tight ends 6 through 12 the last four years. So basically, those top five tight ends, R-squared value 0.69, 0.10, 0.44, 0.59, pretty strong. And the R-squared value for 6 to 12, 0.001, 0.21, 0.03, 0.12. So again, all over the place there. Now, you talked on the CBS Fantasy Football Pod, one of the best pods around recently, about your choice for those late round tight ends. What are you going to do? Will you take a tight end early and seasonal? Is that something that you will do in the right situation? And if not, who are the guys that you sort of see here with your projections that could be the late round tight ends that could finish as a top five fantasy overall choice?
1: Definitely will take a tight end early. I think Kelsey and Kittle are both pushed down a little bit by the fact that there's a lot of late round, late round tight end options. And I, I don't think they're pushed down because of value. I think they're pushed down because of construction concerns. People don't want to take a tight end so early. They don't want to pigeonhole themselves into feeling that. But now that makes him a pretty good value pick, I think, if you take him, you know, in the middle or the later part of the second round. Love Andrew's upside, love, and I wouldn't say I love Ertz, but I can, can definitely see the the price on him. It's, I mean, you've been able to get him in the fifth round at times now. So those are guys that I think make sense, but I agree with you totally. I, I'm pretty much either taking those guys or I'm, I'm almost never... I don't think I have once taken the fifth tight end off the board or the sixth, even that next group, maybe I will take like an Evan Ingram if he winds up being the tight end eight or tight end nine and I get a good value on him or else I'm waiting later. And I'm I'm typically targeting Gasicki and Hawkinson, who I think probably a lot of Rotoviz listeners know have plenty of positive things in their, in their profiles that could be, you know, foretellers of a, of a breakout, but uh, I actually just had a really good conversation today with a former Rotovis podcast co-host of mine, Pat Corain. We were talking sure. about some of these tight ends in, in, the, in the DMs on Twitter for a while today. And he's made some good points about Kosicki and, and just the, the lack of efficiency. But, you know, it's it's hard with Kosicki. You're getting him at a pretty good discount. You know, I know the efficiency matters, but you're getting him at a pretty good discount for a guy who ran the third most routes of the tight end position last year. Hardly ever lined up in line. It was a very good athlete, former second-round pick fourth most air yards at the position that's a a pretty incredible opportunity if he can maintain it there's the possibility that he doesn't because he wasn't very good last year or very efficient but if he gets that type of opportunity again and his and his efficiency bounces back and he kind of grows into his athleticism a little bit That's a guy that I think could have a huge ceiling.
0: Yeah, Gasicki is polarizing. I heard Joe Shad today talk on SiriusXM about Gasicki. He says he feels it can go one way or another. He cited Chan Gailey not really using the tight end in his offense historically. But, of course, Gasicki is probably their slot option, their primary slot option there, and a super athletic guy. Any concern there with that, or you're just pretty much going with the athleticism and you say, you know what, let's take a chance here, because there's not a ton of receiving options, especially if Preston Williams doesn't come back right away.
1: Yeah, I mean, Jan Gailey's history, I'm paying almost no mind to. I mean, maybe that's a mistake, but if you go back and look through it, there's not a ton of really great tight ends. And then, number two, a lot of it's, you know, several years back, and there was just tight ends were used differently back then. It's possible that Sicky gets pigeonholed into that type of role and he's not very productive, but if he's lining up in line a bunch, we'll know that right away. And I'll probably cut him and go after another tight end in those leagues where I have him, Uh, unless it's a really deep league. I'll have to try and, you know, hope that something changes. But, uh, again, he only he only lined up in line about 23 percent of the time last year. So, you you nailed it. he's going to be their slot option or, or he was last year. And if he is again this year, I'm not going to knock him for 10 year old tight end stats or five year old or whatever from traditional tight ends that were lining up in line a lot more when he's used completely differently.
0: You know, you also mentioned Zach Ertz. I love Dallas Goddard here. His FFPC ADP is at one hundred and two point five. So he's down there. With their wide receiver uncertainty, Alshon Jeffrey, we don't know what's going to happen with him. Rager is a a rookie. Do you see value here in Goddard, or is he blocked by Ertz and just somebody that you don't think can really get to the level you would need to justify sort of a tight end one? Uh, He was six in red zone receptions last year. He had eight. His snap share was 69.3. It's up a little bit. Can they really move him forward where he could be? Obviously, if Ertz gets injured, he's an automatic tight end one. But what's his value here in this Philly offense while Ertz is still there?
1: Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, they run a ton of two tight end sets. And I think they like Goddard and they're going to continue to like Goddard. I, I think what's interesting is to think if they might... Like prior to last year, Goddard would only play in two tight end sets and Ertz would play in every formation where there was one tight end, basically. But you can't really put you know, the toothpaste back in the tube a little bit because Goddard played a lot last year and he was really good. He was very efficient. He was more efficient than Ertz. And so I think the question is that's going to be interesting, even though they run a ton of two tight end sets, no team runs that exclusively. I think they're, you know, somewhere around 50 percent, which is a lot. Uh, most every team, uh, the majority of their snaps are in 11 personnel, one tight end. The question becomes on those other 50 percent of snaps, even if they're still up, up there, or you know, other 60 percent, whatever it is. In the one tight end sets, do they start moving Goddard into those one tight end sets at the expense of Ertz a little bit? And I think that's a possibility because, again, like Goddard showed last year he can play. And if he can play, then maybe they they don't lean on Ertz so heavily. And if that's the case, uh, Goddard could basically end up being closer to on par with Ertz in terms of, you know, routes and, and targets and things or, or at least bridge the gap a little bit. And if he does that, yeah, he can definitely be a tight end one.
0: Yeah, range of outcomes, I could see that happening with Goddard, absolutely. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. I use Bet Online to have the big win, the Yankees over the Nats, in that first game there in MLB, so you're definitely going to want to use them. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24 7. On the entertainment side, Floyd Money Mayweather joins the Bet Online team to bring you a brand new segment The Ice Is Right. Floyd talks about all of his jewelry and gives you the chance to bet on the cost of his bling to win some great prizes. Visit betonline.ag for all of your odds and up to date sports news. Remember to use the promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Bet online, your online wagering experts.
1: What's up, listeners? This is Curtis Patrick. I just wanted to stop by and say thank you for supporting RotoViz Radio. You are the absolute best audience in the business, and I know it. As a special thank you, I'm offering 10% off your next RotoViz subscription. Just use code 2020RVRadio at checkout. That's right, go to rotoviz.com. Click subscribe and enter code 2020 RV radio at checkout for 10% off. You can even extend your subscription. Oh, and one more thing. If you haven't ever done it, please rate and review the podcast you're listening to right now on Apple podcasts. It's really easy. It only takes like 10, 15 seconds. Just do it. We'd love to hear your feedback. Now
0: back to the show. Question here from Robert in Boca, uh, mailbag guests have been incredible. Thanks so much to you and all the guests. Can you ask Ben how do you factor in quote if he can only stay healthy monikers into his projections for example, we all agree will Fuller will smash if he can only stay healthy. I remember when this was true for Matt Stafford as well at some point they do probably have to stay healthy and how does Ben consider that in his projections?
1: I don't at all <laughs> um, I, I project everybody pretty much at full health and I see what I think the offense would look like I, I think about what the offense would take how the offense would take shape if somebody got injured. I don't really buy into the injury prone thing because, you know, the, the, the great example is Keenan Allen. He was so injury prone until he wasn't for the last three years. And then you stop talking about him. But the guys who continue to get injured, we keep talking about. Great point. And So the only yeah. people that we think about are the ones that, you know, are injury prone. But, you know, some guys are injury prone until they're not. I worry about like I mentioned Edelman earlier. I worry about age. Fuller's not at, at that age where I'm worried about him. Obviously, he's you know, entering his prime, if anything. And so I, I can see the, the problems with, you know, he's had soft tissue issues and there's, there's problem, you know, the, the, there's been a few missed games here and there every year of his career. And what, what are we really expecting? Are we really expecting 16 games? I mean, that's not really the point to me. If he's out, I will start another receiver. I draft a lot of receivers in my leagues, uh, especially in those ranges. I think he's a great value this year. Anytime he's healthy, he's going to probably be in my lineup. Uh just like, there's not a lot of guys that have the type of ceiling that he has. Obviously we saw that last year. He had like a 50 plus point game the, the, And then there's room for him to grow now, obviously with Deandre Hopkins out and, and Deshaun Watson hasn't had a lot of time to get up to speed with guys like Brandon cooks and uh, Randall Cobb. So, I'm I'm certainly not taking this guy off my board or moving him down or any of that stuff because I'm worried that he might miss a couple of games or even have a big injury or whatever. Like I I look at it the other way. It's almost like this is a huge opportunity. He's way too cheap. If he stays healthy, he's going to crush. If he doesn't stay healthy the whole year, I will find other options in the weeks that he misses.
0: Yeah. And if you keep the, if he can only stay healthy moniker, you're going to miss out when the guy is actually healthy and he totally smashes. So I agree. Stay optimistic. I had Jake Seeley on the pod last week, and he went disturbingly analytical on breakfast cereals. <laughs> uh, what is your working sort of on-the-go breakfast of choice? And if you do go cereal, where are you headed? Did you have a favorite cereal as a kid?
1: I am one of those people that doesn't really eat a lot of breakfast. I tend to get up kind of early, and I, I just kind of have my coffee and don't eat until maybe like 11. But- If I'm going to have breakfast, it's almost always a couple of sunny-side eggs or over-easy eggs. I love the yolk. Nice. You know, some toast. My (laughs) wife sometimes will make me uh, an egg sandwich with some crispy bacon. That's, honest to God, my favorite sandwich in the world. Some sourdough bread. Throw a little cream cheese on there. Ooh, that is the best sandwich you can make. But cereal-wise, yeah, maybe occasionally and probably more like for dinner sometimes if (laughs) there's just nothing around the house. And it's uh, going to be like what my kids have, which she buys them the like – less sugary, like
0: yeah, cinnamon right. toast crunch. So yes, it's,
1: yes. that was like what I ate as a kid was the sugary stuff. So I don't like the less sugary stuff now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Jake had like a whole metric system on sogginess and he puts the milk in for, I mean, we went down a rabbit hole, Ben. That was just unbelievable. I'm with you. <laughs> give me, give me a simple breakfast, a coffee, and maybe some of CTC. Sounds good to me. Question here from Jeff B in Ontario, Canada. Is there a strategy to picking defenses in different scoring systems? He's asking because he joined a CBS league general, not the custom, and he had the defense's start last year with 20 points. Now, since this wasn't PPR, which of course most do PPR now, but he said this was often my third or even second highest scoring player on my team each week. So in those situations, if you're skewed with defense, which is sort of a nebulous projection, what do you do? Do you still wait till the end or are there some that you really target that in those situations with those leagues, you may end up taking a little earlier?
1: Well, a big reason we don't necessarily target defenses is because it's hard to predict i mean the number one defense last year in in drafts i believe was like the bears and they were bad and then the year before it was the jaguars and they were bad they weren't like just like they weren't just like you know not number one they were bottom half bad right so it's really hard to project yeah i I, it's not going to make me target an unpredictable position anymore it is going to make me dislike the scoring system in the league and want my commissioner to change the scoring (laughs) i mean that's what is going to happen for me
0: yeah, definitely. I understand that. And if they listen, you you can always go custom there. And if you're going to have that, your best option Ben may be to stream, right? I remember Yeah. I yeah. I, I, I mean, went Yeah, I remember I went for a, a fantasy title and I I I got it, but I really targeted the Chiefs defense at home against Johnny Manziel and the Browns like 5 weeks earlier, and sure enough Manziel ran all over Kansas City that game, and it almost didn't work out. So it is very unpredictable, right?
1: Yeah, but the the big thing I would say to your point is the way I pick defenses, the way that I've seen, you know, seems to work more is to target the opposing defenses. Or excuse me, the opposing quarterback and the, um, you know, the line advantage is is the defense good at generating pressure and is the other team bad at protecting their quarterback? I mean, that's how you get into turnover situations. And then, you know, it never hurts, of course, if the defense you're picking has a good offense and is going to make teams play from behind. But yeah, you want to stream. You want to you want to go up against bad bad offenses. They're more likely to predict defensive scoring than the actual defense itself.
0: I want to talk regression candidates because that's sort of a level one Twitter analysis that we hear a lot, right, about positive or negative regression, usually negative. I'm going to name a player and I want you to talk about the likelihood of their production having some negative regression. First one is Aaron Jones. Now, Aaron Jones, of course, incredibly efficient. They add A.J. Dillon. But my question, Ben, is if they end up limiting his snaps, he could still probably reach his ADP, couldn't he? I mean, you could cut his touchdowns in half. You could cut his receptions and he still is the best receiving back there. So talk to me about the regression here with Aaron Jones. Do you think maybe he should drop a little further or is the ADP now actually a buy for him?
1: I'm not really grabbing him. Um, It's more for me with him. It's not so much regression. I think he's incredibly talented, but I think there was a lot of excitement last year that the Packers had unlocked him, unleashed him, whatever. But the only four games that he played over 65% of the snaps were the two that Jamal Williams missed and the two that Jamal Williams left early. And then his receiving was way higher when Devontae Adams was out as well. And his one monster game against the Cowboys, I believe both Adams and Williams were out. So yeah, I mean, guy's incredibly pr- productive, but they're never going to use him. They've they, they basically told us they don't want to use him. They're, they're only going to use him like a Christian McCaffrey or an, an elite back in a break glass in case of emergency type situation. Otherwise, they're going to kind of you, you know, pick and choose their spots with him. He's not a guy that, you know, is a lock to get 15 plus carries every week. Um, certainly, if you go look at his game long, you'll you'll see that. And then they go and they add A.J. Dillon and it's like they're only reinforcing that. So you, you got to listen to what the team is telling you. Now, I agree with you. If he's super efficient, like he has been, and he was even before last year, he could still possibly uh, hit, hit his ADP. But for me, it's just, I don't know what the the upside is. Last year, a lot of things broke in a way that kind of, forced his role into being bigger than the Packers kind of otherwise said they wanted his role to be. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not really chasing him, even, uh, even at his depressed ADP.
0: Talked a little bit about him before. Darren Waller on the Raiders had a career year last year, 117 targets, 90 receptions, over 1,100 yards. Only three touchdowns. So you could see some positive regression there. But the Raiders, of course, have really upgraded their offense. They spent the early round pick on Henry Ruggs. So you have, of course, Terrell Williams there, Hunter Renfro. Uh, you know, Josh Jacobs hopefully gets involved in the receiving game a little bit. So what are your thoughts on Waller here in comparison to, you know, what was really a breakout year last year?
1: You know, it's funny. Uh, like maybe five or 10 years ago, we, these guys would have been too pricey and we would have said, okay, regression, don't, don't draft them. But Waller here, Aaron Jones, before I mentioned it in an A.J. Brown article I wrote, we're kind of in a post-regression world now where the, everyone knows about regression. Like you said, it's kind of one, fantasy 101, right, at, at this point. And so players' ADPs do adjust. Aaron Jones is going a lot later than where he was going, and now Darren Waller's going a lot later. And at first I was concerned he's not necessarily going later, he's going like tight end five, right? But he's going later, at least in drafts, than you would expect for a guy who had the breakout he had. And at first I was concerned, but then I did my projections and I cut his targets at least like 15. I have him, I think, in the low 90s. It might be closer to 20 targets cut from last year. And he still came out at like tight end six for me. Like he's still a solid value. And if he's going to slip a ton in a draft that you're in, I don't see any reason why to get him, why not to get him. Yes, Vegas added a ton of other weapons. You shouldn't probably expect him to break 100 uh, 100 targets by a lot. Maybe he gets it, you know, on the nose or by a couple. But he's also probably still going to be Derek Carr's main option in the short area of the field. Henry Ruggs is going to stretch defenses. You know, he wasn't as good when when Hunter Renfro was on the field. And if Hunter Renfro was healthy, maybe that's a problem. But I I still think that Waller's probably going to be their leading target getter this year. I don't really see who else that would be.
0: Let's go down to Miami with Devontae Parker. Looks like Fitzpatrick, of course, is going to start the year, especially now with, with no preseason games. They're going to wait on Tua a little bit, but he certainly was on fire. Had the breakout we've always waited for. Week 11, he was the wide receiver 10, then wide receiver 21, then he toasted Ronald Darby for 159 yards and two touchdowns. Overall, wide receiver one in week 13, and then finished up wide receiver 11, eight, and nine. So are you buying in as Parker for real, Fitzpatrick locks onto that first receiver, or do you think maybe that end of season there is something that people should be careful of that he can maintain?
1: I'm not buying a lot of Parker. I'm a lot lower on him, I think, than average. But here's another guy that is going lower, and, and there's certainly upside to his ADP if he could be anything close to what he was down the stretch last year. I just, it, For me, it's more about Preston Williams. It's about um, Gesicki potentially growing a little bit. And, you know, if two would take a plays late in the season or if this team just runs a little bit more, if they're a little bit better. This is a team that threw a ton down the stretch last year. A lot of air yards, a lot of vertical passing with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now they've added Jordan Howard and Matt Breida. I kind of think those, you know, I don't think they're going to be necessarily a better team, but uh, I kind of think those things could change a little bit. Uh, the, the run pass ratio in, in particular. It's just hard for me to see Parker being just an absolute monster this year. And it's hard for me to buy back in after he kind of burned us a lot earlier in his career. Guy has tons of talent, though. I can see it. It's just not for me.
0: Last one here. I think we're completely aligned. A.J. Brown. He has been an auto-click for me in every single best ball draft that I've done. I think people are scared away because of the run-first offense in Tennessee. They just signed Derrick Henry to the big contract. But I think you're behind A.J. Brown here. What do you think about him with high efficiency from last year?
1: Yeah, I mean, he's going to regress, like, for sure. He was amazing last year. Um, There's The the problem people get into is they regress the player statistics and they don't regress the offense. So Tennessee threw fewer than 450 passes each of the last two years. But uh, between them... Other than them, you have Baltimore last year and you have Seattle in 2018. Those are the only teams since 2014, since they uh, changed the enforcement of uh, illegal contact and defensive holding and kind of ushered in a new era of passing efficiency that have thrown fewer than 450 passes. So the Titans, to throw fewer than 450 passes again, they would have to be close to as efficient as they were as an offense last year. In the second half and after Ryan Tannehill took over – they were more efficient than pretty much any team in a full season has ever been. Yep. Uh, They averaged 7.3 yards per play. No team has hit seven yards per play. I think since the merger, if I remember my research from a couple months ago correctly. Um, So they were well out above any, any team, any offense you can name the chiefs, the, the you know, the the greatest show on turf, Rams, whoever. The the best Patriots offenses, they were that efficient. That's what drove down their pass volume because then they could get into obvious run situations and dictate the game flow and that's what they want to do. They're not going to be able to just do that if their team isn't as efficient. So if you're driving down AJ Brown's efficiency, you necessarily have to add pass attempts to the Titans that's kind of just like a, a fact of the game they're going to have to throw more they're gonna to have to run more plays if he's not taking you know 15 yard crosses to the house with with yards after the catch they're gonna to have to run more plays for me Brown is a guy who I think will regress if uh, in terms of efficiency but his numbers will still stay well above average in terms of uh, efficiency again and then I think his targets are going to bounce back the team volume is going to rise I think his target share could rise I'm projecting it to rise from what it was late season when he was a full-time player So I I think when you start doing those things, you recognize that he can certainly have a a high enough floor to justify his pick, Uh, his ADP, which is what, like third to fourth round. Maybe his floor or like his target floor, if he's fully healthy and all those things, maybe it's like a fifth or sixth round value. It's not. It's a small miss. And then the upside is that he's, you know, incredibly efficient again, or his target share rises, you know, into the upper 20s or approaches 30 percent because he's just that good or the, you know, the the crown jewel possibility, which, you know, no one's wishing for injuries, but if Derrick Henry misses time and then they have to just kind of run the offense through AJ Brown, you know, that's a scenario where he could just have an absolutely monster season.
0: That's a brilliant point. Can't regress AJ Brown's efficiency and not regress the Tennessee offense as a whole. Very, very good point. Head to Minnesota, no Stefan Diggs, Adam Thielen there. My question is Irv Smith versus Justin Jefferson. They draft Justin Jefferson in the first round. He comes in. He's already listed ahead of B.C. Johnson on the depth chart, but there's not going to be a ton of time for him to get on the same page as Kirk Cousins. Irv Smith, second tight end last year, was able to flash here and there, but Kyle Rudolph's still on the team. Who do you like as the second receiving option in Minnesota, and specifically Irv Smith or Justin Jefferson? Do you find yourself leaning towards one of those players?
1: Yeah, I'm going to go over Smith here. Just, uh, you know, good, good prospect profile and somebody I think it could break out. I don't love the Vikings pass offense. Um, I'm not really buying into Justin Jefferson and redraft. And or it, it's Irv for me if there's, you know, somebody that I'm looking at from the Vikings late. It, it's, you know, deeper tight end format, probably. But he's a guy that I could see taking a flyer on in in those types of formats.
0: Let's thank a teacher time. You know, schools, of course, trying to put their schedules together and there's a lot of uncertainty across the country, virtual versus live, 50% capacity. So can you give a shout out, Ben, maybe a teacher in your K-12 years that had a huge influence on you as a person or a student, someone that you made a difference here you want to give a little shout out to?
1: Oh, that's great. I'm kind of bad with names, but I had Miss King in sixth grade and she was awesome uh, high school, several good ones. Um, Stu, Mr. Stewart was our like activities coordinator was a great one. Uh, I had a former NFL D lineman, uh, Mr. Norton, who was an English teacher who definitely had a pretty big impact on me. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Uh, he played in like the sixties and then he was my English teacher. Um, so that was cool. Uh, a math teacher named Mr. Worcester who used to throw, uh, uh, dry erase pens at me because <laughs> i'd fall asleep in his class so he'd throw them at me i was i was kind of like a, a math whiz so i'd fall asleep and still yep. do well in tests and he was I was trying to push me to do more and so he he had kind of a pretty good impact on me as well I, although i don't think i was really his favorite because i was kind of always
0: slacking you know what but he probably looks back and smiles because he knows the potential yes the, the days when teachers would throw things at kids man That that's yeah. <laughs> i remember that as well definitely Let's go bust time. Identify the player in the top 10 in ADP at each of the positions that you think has the highest bust potential. We'll start a quarterback here. Josh Allen, very polarizing. Talked about it last few weeks. Who do you think? Him or someone else there who, if you said, you know what, if they end up busting out of the top 10, it wouldn't surprise me.
1: I really like the top six. So I'd have to look at ADP a little more closely and see who's like 7 to 10. I don't, I don't think... I don't think... I'm not worried about Allen. I, I think Diggs is a positive for him and his rushing is going to carry him. And, and he's actually somebody that I like to get when he's, you know, cheap enough. Um, so it's probably somebody that's in like the 8 to 10 range in ADP that, I, that I'm that i not very fond of. But I'm not exactly sure who who's sitting there right now.
0: Maybe Carson Wentz. I mean, I know he's supremely talented. But uh, is somebody maybe that, you know, you see there that you're not sure about? At Car- I kind of dig him
1: too. I I guess it like – it's probably Breeze if he's okay. in, in that range. But I, I, Drew Breeze's past uh, touchdowns shot up last year. The, the couple years before that, um, they had been a little bit more run heavy. And uh, in particular, their running back touchdowns were just completely cratered last year. Both Kamara and Latavius Murray scored six. They scored, you know, 12 combined. And they had been over 20 and I think a, closer to 25 each of the, the previous two years with uh, Kamara and Ingram. Um, actually, I think it's more than two years. I think it's three years that they were like 24, 25, uh, the, the the Saints running back touchdowns. So I expect some of those touchdowns to shift back towards the running backs and kind of move away from Breeze. And, and people will bring up, oh, Taysom Hill. Another good point, another good point, and one of the weird things with Taysom Hill last year is he scored like seven touchdowns and he caught like six of them. He only had one rushing TD. He caught a bunch of TDs on like 19 catches. I can't remember the exact numbers, but um, that's another thing that probably won't happen again where – if they use Taysom Hill in those areas, that he might run it in more. I, I just think Breeze's touchdowns have to come back down. Um, so he's one that I'm, I'm a little bit lower on the consensus, it seems like.
0: What about running back? A holdout concerns here. Dalvin Cook, possibly Joe Mixon, Miles Sanders. I, I love Miles Sanders, especially with the offensive line now being completely fortified, even with the injury. Nick Chubb with Kareem Hunt's presence. Who do you see there as a concern?
1: Yeah, Chubb. And always Derrick Henry for me. I okay. mean, I get a lot of flack for it. I was completely wrong on him last year. But a uh, guy just is not going to catch enough passes. And again, we just talked about the Titans offense. They were so efficient. They lost lost uh, Jack Conklin on the right side of their line. I also don't think they're going to be playing in as much plus game script as they did late last year. And in the stretch where Henry was really phenomenal uh, in the late season, he was averaging over six yards per carry. I mean, you can bank on that all you want. I don't think he's going to be in the in the scripts to be able to run thirty plus times every week. I don't think he's going to be able to average over six yards a carry over an extended period of time. He had four hundred touches if you consider the play uh, include the playoffs last year. I'm still going to go back to the the high value touches I look at, which is you know the scoring chances and the receptions. The receptions aren't there. He'll get his scoring chances, but I just don't think he can be as efficient. I think he's I think he's just going to be a little bit uh, overdrafted. He's going you know late first in a in a lot of leagues.
0: What about wide receiver? Jake talked about Amari Cooper. He says it's always Amari Cooper for him. Michael Gallup, of course, super efficient at the end of last year. DeAndre Hopkins is changing teams. I did his projections using the RotoViz projection machine, a fantastic suite of apps that we have here the other night. And I was shocked, Ben. I... Unless Kyler Murray really improves yardage and production, I guess I'm just buying into Kirk as well as to Fitzgerald. I I think it's hard for Hopkins to really get to that top echelon wide receiver statistic-wise, but there's him, there's Cooper, Mike Evans. Who's a wide receiver here in the top 12 that you think you, you have a little bit of concern about?
1: Yeah, Hopkins and Cooper more so than Evans. I'm I'm not as worried about Evans as other people are with Brady. Hopkins, uh, pretty much every reason you just said, I agree with. Uh, you know, he's really really good, and so like in my projection, I, I bumped up his uh, target share higher than I really would want to go, just purely analytically, and and thought to myself, you know, I'm probably underselling his talent a little bit, uh, and I still only have him like wide receiver six, which mm-hmm. is you know close to where he goes, but I don't draft him anywhere. Uh, and Cooper, I would way rather play Dallas's passing game through uh, Michael Gallup and yep. um, and Ceedee Lamb and, and even maybe even Blake Jarwin, really late, but not not doing a lot of Cooper this year. I just don't think you know. There's, there's been a lot of discussion about how Gallup is close to him in numbers, and I and I understand people aren't as worried about that, but I just it, it seems to me that they're going to take what the defenses give them, and defenses are going to put their top corners on Cooper as a tough cornerback schedule. And he's always kind of shadow like kind of been quiet in those tough matchups. Or at least Dallas will be willing to go other ways. We know that. So like I just why why pay for him when you can get Gallup or Lamb, who are both very talented later?
0: And then last position, tight end, of course. Evan Ingram, I I think he's the Teflon tight end, Ben. No matter what, people still believe in him. He's always around tight end five or six. Tyler Higby isn't very polarizing. He got some a lot of Twitter busts last couple of weeks, people on either sides. And, of course, Hayden Hurst maybe going down to Atlanta following Hooper there. So top 12 tight end, who do you think uh, could be a bust here?
1: Ingram is just like Will Fuller for me. He's a guy that uh, I just see the upside if he stays healthy. So I'm I'm still willing to take him. Uh, Higby is is gonna definitely be my answer here. He's just for all the reasons that have been said. I mean, he's impossible to rank because he did nothing through his college college career. He did nothing through his NFL career up until the final five games last year. And then in those five games, he did something that no tight end had ever done before. So. What do you do? Like, you have to acknowledge that there's upside there because he just did something no one has ever done before. But he played uh, four of those games against top three defenses, uh, defensive matchups for tight ends, which is because he played Arizona twice, the, the absolute best tight end matchup. And then he also played Seattle and, and Dallas, who were second and third in, in PPR points allowed to the position. And that was four of his five games in that stretch. So that is something to keep in mind. Like, he was... Just as easily could have been a, a, a film thing, a scheme thing, where Sean McVay was attacking these specific defenses uh, because they had a leak at tight end. and I'm just not buying it. There's just not enough of a track record to, to pay that price. Gerald Everett's still very good, and I don't think what they did at the end of last year is going to carry over
0: time for redraft lightning round i'm going to give you two players ben tell me which player you like better for seasonal redraft purposes let's assume ppr at their current adp first one deandre hopkins just talked about him with certainly the high floor or kenny galladay who should have a healthy matthew stafford this year
1: at adp it's galladay i have hopkins ranked higher but i actually draft galladay and i don't actually really end up drafting hopkins very often
0: Terry McLaurin out there in Washington certainly is going to get the majority of the targets. Or DK Metcalf, who really had a great season, but of course has to battle Tyler Lockett.
1: It's McLaurin for me pretty easily. I like Metcalf. I know he's a second-year guy, very efficient. A lot of the things that that his writers have been talking about, shout out Blair Andrews. My concern with him is people are looking at him and saying he was he was so efficient and he gets to play with Russell Wilson, so he's going to be a star. But Russell Wilson is extremely accurate and Metcalf still wasn't as efficient maybe as he should have been last year if you look at his true catch rate over at player profiler which only looks at on target throws he was outside the top 100 wide receivers his target accuracy rating was really strong because Russell Wilson's good so my point is like he's already gotten the best of Russell Wilson he's got to play better and if Josh Gordon comes back there or they add somebody at wide receiver as well I think that's going to cut into Metcalf more than Lockett. Lockett's a a multi-year star there. I think Metcalf's going to be very good, but he's not somebody I wind up taking in this rookie class. He's like the only young guy I'm not taking a lot of.
0: Don't break my heart here. Ronald Jones or Keyshawn Vaughn?
1: Oh, it's Ronald
0: Jones, hands down. I'm
1: I'm a Ronald Jones truther myself. You said you were too.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. I, I just, I think, you know what, Ben? I think Arians will give him the first shot. I do. And I think if he performs... His upside goes through the roof. You know, I'm going back to maybe it's the old, remember Chris Johnson and David Johnson, all that stuff. I think he's got a shot. If he falters, he's in trouble. But I, I think when the season starts here, he's going to be the main guy.
1: I mean, you're not going to get me to disagree with any of that. He's He is the much better runner than Keyshawn Vaughn. I am a little concerned about the pass blocking and Arians pulling him. You know, that one game where he only played a couple snaps and, and, and having issues with his pass blocking. Arians is tough. Arians can be kind of a headache as a coach sometimes for fantasy, but Ronald Jones is is talented and people I don't think realize that yet. They were worried after his rookie year that he wasn't, and now after the year two, they're like he's been bad for two years, he's a bust. Or that was it's not really the, the take anymore. But I think that was the bust right after the or the, uh, the opinion right after the consensus opinion right after the season. Um, and now there's you know a little bit of hype generating around him. But the big thing I would point out about year two was like most of it was playing time stuff. It was coaching stuff. It was you know, pass blocking, but as far as what he actually did, he was explosive, man. He had a lot of uh, long runs called back, a couple long runs called back, a lot of yards lost to penalty, but was still very good as a runner, looked explosive, was explosive in the passing game as well. This guy definitely has upside.
0: We're big into zero RB here, of course. So a couple late round running backs that have upside, Phillip Lindsay or James White, and of course in PPR formats.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll take them both. It just depends. <laughs> I, I tend to always lean toward the pass catchers, but I am a little concerned about white uh, and Lindsay's a talented back. So he's a guy I would take as well. These are they're just kind of different guys. And it would depend if I already have like a pass catching specialist on my team. I don't like to take like white and Heinz and Cohen all in the same roster. Um, and it would depend kind of what my construction's like, what I'm looking for. If I'm looking for a guy to start, it might be Lindsay. Cause I think he'll be more consistent. Actually. Uh, I think people think pass catching receivers are very consistent, high floor, but they actually tend to have a lot of spikes in their pass catching uh, based on game script. So I, I expect that from White a little bit. He's somebody that I'll definitely take. But uh, again, it's just going to totally depend on my my roster construction at that point.
0: Yeah, Lindsey's an odd guy because he was very productive at Colorado his junior year. And then, of course, he, he sort of fell out of favor with the drops and they went with Royce Freeman, even though he's the, the larger back there as the pass catching guy. Lindsey got the goal line work. Sort of an odd situation, you no? Know, with Lindsey. I mean, he can still be very valuable in the receiving game, even though they really went to Freeman a little bit last year in that regard.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree with that. It's interesting, like, he, I, I'm worried about his, his receiving, but he did not run a lot of routes. You're right. Like, Freeman was the guy who was, like, in on passing downs, pass blocking, and running routes. But Lindsey got a pretty solid number of targets for the routes that he ran, especially, like, late down, like, down the stretch. So they were calling plays for him i know there was a. I i think it was maybe the texans game with with drew lock under center um that they they ran like a bubble screen to him that he, i think he took to the house that maybe got called back i can't remember yes. the exact specifics yes. but yep. they were running some some bubble screens some split outs to him getting the ball into his hands in space intentionally and so if he's gonna have a high rate of targets per route run like that's helpful certainly
0: And last one here, two guys, wide receivers, veterans who are very close in ADP. Keenan Allen with the Chargers, now Tyrod Taylor is going to start the year before Herbert comes in. Or T.Y. Hilton, other side of 30, but certainly now with Phillip Rivers, better quarterback play than last year. Who do you like here, Allen or Hilton?
1: I mean, it wouldn't even be fair of me to to pick one because I probably won't draft either of these guys in any leagues this year. And that's just because... We're talking about a range of drafts where there are so many young upside receivers that I just absolutely love, and I'm loading up on those guys everywhere I can. I can't get enough of all of them. So Keenan Allen for me, love him. A guy that I like stand for for years, and I have had on so many teams. But I'm worried about the the pass volume drop. It's going to be pretty sub- substantial, I think. And uh, you know, Hunter Henry and and Mike Williams and Austin Eckler. There's other guys there that can catch passes. So it's going to be tough for him, I think, to, to get anywhere near his target volume in the past. Uh, I'm sure he'll still be good because he's an incredibly good route runner and one of the more underrated high-end wide receivers. Hilton is older, injury-prone. We don't know. I think he'll be fine with Rivers, too. I like them both, but it's like, do I want to invest in an older uh, receiver, both of which have had injury issues in their past, or do I want to invest in a guy that I think might be on the cusp of breaking out? And I'm always going to side with the breakout guys.
0: Well, in that same vein there, talk rookie, running back, and or wide receiver. Give me the lottery ticket, the guy you see yourself getting a lot as a rookie. Of course, a lot of the running backs go very early here, but is there like a late round running back and or wide receiver that you really like this year to pay off in seasonal, maybe either right away or second half of the year?
1: Well, it's tough with the rookies now because we know that they're shortened off seasons. I would have said LaVisca Chenault pretty quickly if you asked me this a few months back. But I'm a little concerned that he's going to get stuck behind D.D. Westbrook, who's done nothing and is like 28 now. I don't think people realize how old that guy is. He came into the league at like 24. I don't think he's ever hit 750 yards. He's probably not going to be good. LaVisca Chenault is their second best receiver. But I don't know that he'll get played like it. It would probably have been him, but because you know I'm a little concerned about that, I'll, I'll go with a running back, which I think has a better shot at you know getting on the field early. I'll say Darrington Evans. If something does uh, happen to Henry, mm-hmm. he's going to be a star, and I think Evans will still get some work in the passing game. They've had some quotes out of Tennessee this offseason about how some of his traits will translate into pass blocking, and they think he could play well in the passing game, and I think that's something that we'll see them do with him. And so he's a guy that uh, I'm certainly targeting as one of the – Later, later round type zero RB upside plays if he ever does get a chance to start, but but should at least play on passing downs, if not.
0: Excellent call. I think people are dismissing Evans as the injury only to Henry handcuff. That is not true. I think he's going to be involved in the passing game, and Henry is suppressing his ADP, so I think he's a buy. And Colin and Sean on Road of His Overtime talk about Chanel all the time, so yeah, if he can somehow get acclimated, maybe second half of the year, I think that's a great call as well. Give me your top two or three favorite sitcoms of all time. I feel like TV has changed, Ben. Nobody talks about sitcoms <sighs> here, but uh, I'm an old school guy. I find myself watching good times, happy days late at night. If I can't fall asleep, you got a sitcom or two. That's one of your favorites.
1: Uh, Pretty much anything by Michael. Sure. Me and my wife love to watch and and, and rewatch. We loved the good place. We love, we're watching Brooklyn nine, nine again yep. right now, mm-hmm. parks and rec. Yep. Um, There's a lot of really good ones. I mean, yeah. I mean, we, we watch pretty much all of them. The office. I mean, we, Whatever you know, we've we've seen all, all the all the classics, the uh, more recent classics, I guess. But yeah, th- those would be my top two or three, probably.
0: Ben, I'll still watch Fonzie jump the shark. Literally, I mean, I, I mean you know, why <laughs> That's not? The real right? classic, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Dee Westbrook. I'm laughing because on the last few mailbags, I always talk about he was my truther guy, and he just failed me last year big time. So I'm done. But inquiring minds want to know who is your truther guy? Who's the guy we talked about? Sean with Marquise Lee who do you think I can have a big 2020 year that you find yourself still hanging on to?
1: You will never get me to stop saying that John Ross is a good football yes, player. Yes. Yes. Never get me to stop saying that he is an incredibly good football player. I understand he had injury concerns. I blame Marvin Lewis for um, kind of the first couple of years. There was all sorts of doghouse stuff and all that. He gets on the field last year and he immediately starts making plays. And he always did in college whenever he got on the field, whether it was kick returning, running the ball and certainly as a receiver. And then he got hurt again and he probably will get hurt again this year but people are he's completely free because of the t higgins pick i don't think t higgins fills the role that john ross fills i think t higgins is the long-term aj green replacement i think john ross's speed is still going to need be needed in this offense and so i think ross will still be on the field now if aj green's healthy and tyler boyd's in that offense you're gonna have plenty of targets going to those two but man we're gonna see some explosive plays from ross i bet you
0: Love it. Evan went with Rex Burkhead, and that picked John Ross a heck of a lot better than D.D. Westbrook, that's for sure. So absolutely love it. Ben, you, fantastic job as always, man. We got one more question, then we'll get you out of here. I want the bold prediction. I had Patrick Darty on and Rich Rebar. Rich Rebar went with uh, that he's going to have – we're going to have 16 games this year. This was his bold prediction. So <laughs> <laughs> give, give me your big, bold fantasy football prediction for 2020.
1: I will say – I think this is a little bit bold – that Jonathan Taylor runs for like I don't know what's what's bold because he's not going to start because we know of COVID as long as you're like aware that like he's probably not going to be the number one the number one week one option but uh, I think he's going to run away with that backfield eventually and and I, I'm my bold prediction would be it's going to happen pretty quick and he's going to end up running for 1200 1300 yards because he's behind a phenomenal offensive line graded number one by PFF and they have an incredibly weak early season schedule so there's going to be all tons of of running back opportunity. I think both him and Mack can get double-digit touches for the first, like, seven or eight weeks. And then at that point, I think he's going to already have shown that he is a far superior runner to Marlon Mack, and he's going to be the second-half stud.
0: Besides Saquon Barkley, best running back prospect we've had in, in a long time. Folks, Ben Gretsch, amazing job on Twitter. Must follow at Yards Per Gretsch. He's down at CBS Sports doing amazing work down there as well. Stealing signs, the whole thing. Ben, outstanding job. Can't thank you enough, man. Great content. It looks like the season's going to happen. We got our fingers crossed here. But you certainly helped a lot of fantasy drafters with the advice. So thanks so much for coming on. Of course, man. Thanks for having me. That was fun.